Thanks for joining us for part four of Scarborough's interview. Can you talk a bit about your term as president of the Bar Foundation and how you came to be president, what you wanted to do? Well, you know, I was, after after my term as president was over with, I mean, the, the Bar Board of Governors under the Constitution, they had, they had elects the members of the foundation board. Uh, so it's a kind of a, the foundation as we conceived it back in the, when we were starting it and getting it going after we funded it was going to be a way to to uh, we 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 could see some problems being arise arising in lobbying with the legislation we've been doing so much lobbying for judicial reform we could see some of the bar members saying well we have to we're not going to use our compulsory dues for you to go argue for this position in the legislation that we are against. And uh, particularly since the dues were sent to the state treasurer and, and we only got it from the treasurer when we asked for it back. So we, we, that was one of the reasons we put our bar money into the foundation. We were trying to raise money to the foundation because we thought we could maybe use that as a lobbying tool without using license fee money from, from our members of the South Carolina Bar. That was one of our ideas. Whether it was worth it or not, I don't know. And whether it was ever done or not, I don't know. But anyway, that was why I was interested in it and interested in raising money for it and trying to get that original 60 up to 100,000. That's what my effort was at that time. Now we got it up to 3,000. But, uh, I, uh, and so I stayed on the bar board after my term as president, foundation board, primarily to raise money as much as I could. I was hoping to get that thing up. It never did get up to much over $100,000 until we did this, uh, until they came up with the idea, which was long after I was there, to, to do the uh, IOTA program. And that got it going. Uh, and so now we do have a little over $3 million in, in the foundation, uh, as, as, which is still inadequate, but it's a hell of a lot better than I ever thought we'd see. And, and we're trying to raise now another $2 million. That's why I went back on the board to try to help with that. But that was that was the reason I got on there was to raise money to use it for things that we shouldn't be using mandatory bar dues to pay for. Mm -hmm. Is that a, a hard thing to raise money for relative to the other things you worked with? Well, with some lawyers it wasn't, and with some lawyers they wouldn't pay a damn cent to it. Some people came through and, and immediately gave five million, five thousand dollars back in that days as a life fellow. Since then, they reduced the life bill from five thousand to three thousand, which I think is probably a mistake now. But but uh, they've gotten a lot of life fellows, uh, so so it must have been a good idea. Of course, three thousand dollars now is not what five thousand dollars was back in in uh, six seventy five seventy six. But they've really really built up a pretty good giving thing from lawyers, and we had a at the at midwinter meeting at the bar last week. We we had over fifty five people show up for a dinner. For the Bar Foundation of the Life Fellows, so, and that wasn't a long shot, all of them. So it was, it was a good dinner, and we talked about raising this additional $2 million and didn't have any great screams about no more fundraisers. So I think we'll be able to do it over a period of a couple of years. This firm is among the largest in the country. Can you talk for a minute about the advantages and disadvantages of size? Well, of course, the disadvantages are effort. Enormous effort has to be put into communication to keep everybody feeling like they're part of the same organization, particularly when you spread out geographically like we are. 
uh, and that's that's the only disadvantage that I see. The advantage is that, that you, you, if you've got the right kind of lawyers and the right kind of experts, you get the right kind of you get terrific legal opportunity to do terrific, terrific legal work. The opportunity you get considered. That was my goal. One of my goals that I got the firm to buy in on it. We want to be one one of the firms considered in the southeast when anything novel or important comes up from a legal standpoint. Whether we make the final cut or not is done. We just want to be on the, on the drawing boards as one of the people to be considered on the firm. That way you get your fair share of, of those kind of things and you get a chance to show what you can do. And if you show, if you do it successfully, then you're going to be higher up on the list the next time something comes up. And so having a chance to work on, on, on those kind of matters and to represent those kind of clients that we represent now is just exciting as it can be to me, uh, particularly as a guy that worked, started out representing insurance companies in, 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 in automobile accident cases. It's just uh, fascinating. To, Web TV was one of our clients that we sold, to the, got sold the other day, but that was, I mean, not Web TV, yeah. WebMD down in, in Atlanta was one of the companies we represented from the time it got started until it went public. And then we, it was sold to a West, Co- West Coast company the other day, and it was on the, on the NASDAQ, one of the, it was in the next stocks, and several other internet companies like that are started by us in Atlanta. And, and, a, and a, you see them grow and become famous these days. It's just really exciting. Our, our new Charlotte office is doing a lot of work. And, and, and uh, some of the new telephone type of, of, of work, which is the big thing. That and Internet's are the big things in the country today is the legal aspect. And our patent lawyers have been a big help to them in that, too. So it's been a, exciting to be on, a, on the front lines in those, those, those things. And that's something you couldn't do as a small firm. We, we, we got... As a small firm, we got our share of all the litigation, which is all we were doing. We, we got a chance to do some of the biggest litigation, but I, I represented the, the designers of the tricentennial pavilions in South Carolina when they all started falling apart. And our tricentennial year, which is before your time, it was the 76th. Uh, we had three tricentennial pavilions in Charleston, Columbia, and and Greenville, and the, the overall designer was a fellow named Buckminster Fuller, and uh, and he used his Rolex North Carolina architectural firm as his that did the actual work. But 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 Buckminster never was a, an actual licensed architect. He was just a designer, but he was world famous for his designs, mainly his cubes and that kind. of this was going to be a, he was going to use his original cube design to design something. Completely novel, which was going to be uh, a dome, geodesic dome. Unfortunately, the, the stresses on them were so so great that they all started cracking before the fancy the, the tricentennial year got started. The state had invested millions in them, and so we were asked. I was asked to represent the designer. And those are the kind of things that, when you get into those kind of that kind of litigation, you want to be one of the people considered for those kind of things. That was quite a big suit at the time in South Carolina. And it varied, and then get to know Mr. Fuller. And to find out eventually what happened, we had to get a, back in those days in the 70s, it was, we, the only way we could find out whether we were wrong or right was to use the McDonnell Douglas 
computers in St. Louis, Missouri, to try to take all these numbers and crunch them and come up with an answer and tell us what, what was wrong. By the time it came back to us, it was the design. We had already talked Reynolds and Luma into paying half of anything for the, <laughs> for the defective materials. So, so we, we settled them out quickly after that. But it was it was an interesting, uh, interesting look. Yeah, for those kind of things, you get a chance to get involved in as, you, as you, that was that was in the litigation area but now we get involved in corporate securities matters and that kind of thing too and just like Drake and those guys are always involved in some sort of a uh, work for the legislation you know, lobbying on something which is always exciting I, I don't I, 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 I just assume from my standpoint you hadn't been on the side of the video poker because that wasn't one of my favorite clients but it certainly kept in visit he told me when he took up that client, I said, Dwight, I'm not so sure we ought to be involved in something like video pro. He said, oh, I told him it was only going to be one year. By that time, the legislature, we were going to be kicked out of work. He kept them going for 11 years. Uh, he kept them going longer than I thought he would. But it was, uh, and he certainly made a lot of money. <laughs> we represented the small, small video poker guys, not the big colleges and those kind of guys. But anyhow, those kind of, that kind of work and working with Dick Riley when he was with us was exciting and he, he brought in a clientele too that was helpful to the firm. Whether he's going to come back, what he's going to do when he gets out next year, I don't know. That's him, that's him and his daddy right over there and that, his daddy was my big buddy, Ted Riley Sr. I just met him once. He was just incredible. We have his papers. We have uh, mm -hmm. Mr. Ted's papers mm -hmm. and, and we're getting uh, Did you ever do one of these papers. these things with him? No, but uh, Somebody did, I my know. boss uh, George Terry yeah, did he, a great interview. Yeah, he, he told me that he he was all excited about doing it. I know. Oh, it's fascinating. <laughs> Have you not seen it? No, I hadn't. I'll try to see if I can okay. get a copy yeah. for you. But he's a he's a wonderful guy. I mean, he was a wonderful guy. My relationship with his daddy is what really got Ted to come in. I mean, Dick to come in. I think when he got out. Plus the fact we'd already had Dwight in. Dwight had left him, so and that had a lot to do with Dick coming to work with us. But. Uh, <laughs> what in your career to date has given you the most satisfaction? I don't think I can point out any one thing. I, I, I've been, I, 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 my idea was to work in the bar and the community and then and the church as well as practice law, and, I, and I've had satisfaction in all of them. I've been real active in the Episcopal Church, Trinity here in town, and the diocese. I've been real active in the community with the Chamber of Commerce president and that kind of thing. And uh, I've just been, a, uh, I, I've had a good time. I've had a hell of a good life and I've enjoyed it. I've made some mistakes, but everybody does that. So. Any big disappointments? Not really, not really. I can't think of any. Has your vision of the firm pretty much remained steady? Or has it changed? Well, it's grown. I don't think. I don't think. Back in seven and sixty-five, when I started really adding lawyers to the firm, I ever thought anything about us being this large. But uh, as we started growing, and it was so easy to grow, and, and as, as as we grew, we ended up making more money than we ever had to pay for the people to help us make it grow. But uh, it just seems stupid not to do it. But uh, uh, there were a lot of people who were saying, "Oh, you know, you can't have a." large firm like this in a little state like South Carolina. Actually, the legal fees in South Carolina have historically been among the lowest in the United States. 
There's only one other state that's as low as Iowa, and that's been Alabama. So nobody thought that a law firm in South Carolina would have but that's, that, that's unfortunately the way too many South Carolinians have felt about South Carolina all its life. And, and uh, you could look at Charlotte, places like that, and see a whole different attitude. That anything's available, we can do. You know, and Charlotte has always had that attitude. Columbia's always been, uh, we're too small, too little, and too uneducated, and too this and too that. And we can't do stuff. And, and I was hoping that one of the things we could do is to show that you can do anything you want in South Carolina if you really want to do it bad enough. And, and, and plan it properly. So I think I think we've opened up a lot of people's eyes anyhow and other people have tried to make the effort now. Can you talk a little bit about the training program that For you mentioned earlier? Well, mm -hmm. I don't know what it is today exactly. The way I had way we had set it up here was to we practiced then in small person teams of lawyers. Usually we have one senior lawyer and five other lawyers and maybe a couple of paralegals. We tried to keep responsibility of the senior lawyer to only overlooking seven people. I mean, six people to the outside because we figured if you had any more people to really look at, he either would not do a good job supervision or wouldn't do a good job with his clients because he wouldn't have time to do both. That was my initial idea. I think it's changed now. But, uh, and then new lawyers, we would send to different groups because each group had a different way of practicing. It was usually the whoever the senior lawyer was. It was amazing. The young guys that worked with him would end up being just like him for about 10 years. And so, But we'd take new lawyers and stick them in different groups around the firm and that way they would have a chance to, to learn how everybody worked after about a year's worth of rotations. Then they would pick the ones they liked the best to work with and if a senior lawyer liked them, they would make a marriage and they'd go work in that team. But that's kind of the way we did it. And with the senior lawyer, then he'd have a, another partner, a senior associate under him, and they would all train all the way to everybody had training responsibilities. So nobody was unguided. Everybody had somebody to ask and talk to. And is part of that also picking an area of speciality? Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes we... Now, I think when we started getting more and more into corporate work, corporate lawyers said they didn't want their lawyers to have any trial experience. They didn't think it was necessary for them to get it. I think that was a mistake, but that's what I think we're doing now is to please them so they, they recruit their people just to work straight, strictly in the corporate work. But they have a train and they're very good at it. The bar has been criticized at times of being too heavily influenced by the larger metropolitan firms. you think there's much truth to that? Could be. I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. Certainly the larger metropolitan firms provide most of the work and most of the dollars, uh, so I would assume that would provide some influence. Uh, when we were there, we tried, when we were active in the bar, we tried to rotate the bar presidentship around the state. We tried to see that it was always upstate, downstate, rural, and metropolitan as far as the presence concerned. And, have people coming through the chairs and so forth to get to that point, which kind of kept everybody around the state involved. But, uh, you know, I, you can always have that way in a church. You know, the people that give the most and work the hardest are going to be the ones that are, are going to be the ones taking the most influence in the church. Uh, it's just that the way it, that's the way it is. We're getting towards the end. Okay. What do you think is the most momentous change 
that you've seen in, the in your years in the law? Yeah, that was the most momentous change is probably how I, there are two, two ways I'd like to look at it. One, is, one would be the change when, from a trial standpoint when you went from white jurors to, to jurors that looked like citizens, <laughs> which I think was a plus in the bar. Uh, but that wasn't thought so at the time. Uh, I think uh, otherwise the fact that, that uh, the most momentous change we've seen in this state anyhow, and the other states probably had it, but this is in the size of the law firms and the success of the larger firms and, and the fact that you don't have to be in Atlanta or New York to be, have a firm like this. You can do it wherever you want to do it if, if, you, if you set that as a goal and get the right kind of people to work with you. 40 years from now, what do you think the landscape's going to look like? Are there going to be just a... I think, I think 40 years from now, you're going to have even larger law firms. I think you're going to have firms that are going to have accounting firms working with them, and, and uh, uh, which is the model that you see in Washington right now. That's the only bar that I know of that admits it right now. There might be another one in Washington, D.C. But they, they've got accounting firms that are part of law firms, but uh, and they've got... Uh, lobbying people that are not lawyers and working with them and, and independent companies associated are totally owned by the law firm and things of that nature. I think you can see more of that to counterbalance the the, 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 the work that the accounting firms are doing, which are adding more and more lawyers every day to their accounting practices, the big big four or five or whatever it is these days. And I think you can see law firms doing that. You can see more international law firms. Uh, my my goal was to try to make us a, a large, prominent southeastern firm in the hopes that someday this firm would become international and national, but we would be a solid foundation in the southeast before we did that. And will the key problem in doing that, do you think, be communication? I think communication is a problem, but I think, you know, I think the, the modern communication tools are so tremendous. I mean, I think email had a great bearing on us growing. I mean, to, being able to we were probably the first firm that used it extensively, but just to be able to communicate by email to everybody instantaneously. And to get two or three people uh, emailing to each other at the same time was just almost like having somebody in the next office. Nowadays, if, if they all had these cameras on their desks, they could they could do it and see each other at the same time. Uh, might be a good thing, might be a bad thing. Yeah, sometimes it's, I leave mine on a dial sometimes. I got a call the other day from... I was sitting there with, and I heard this, the phone ring on my computer. Went over and, and turned it on, and, and uh, there was a young guy, looked like he was in his 20s, and he said, May I talk to you for a minute? And he had an accent. I said, Sure, you can. And, he, and I could see his face, and he could see mine. He says, I'm from Damascus, Syria, and I'm trying to learn English better, and I thought I could talk to you for a few minutes in practice. But those kind of things, it's just fascinating to me. See somebody and do that kind of conversation for free. Didn't cost a damn thing. <laughs> Is there anything that I should have tried to cover in this interview that I haven't? I think you covered about everything I can think of. I, I haven't gone into my grandchildren because I don't have any. <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs>
Thanks for listening. Next week, we will share a 2010 conversation between Judge Goolsby and Judge Curitan, which was moderated by Tanya G., then the Clerk of Court of the South Carolina Court of Appeals.